Well, good morning, church family. Would you please open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6? And while you're doing that, if you're new this morning online or uh, joining us at church on Sunday, we're so pleased that you could join us. And we're just glad that you've chosen to make this a part of your morning. My name is Richard Rock, and I've had the pleasure of serving as an elder at Central Christian Church previously for over 10 years. And uh, as Tim is still under the weather this morning, he asked if I would uh, speak this morning, and it's such an honor to be able to bring God's Word uh, with you. Because I believe that whether we're opening our Bibles at home, in our small groups, or right here at church, that God speaks to us when we study his word. And I hope you found that to be true in your life and that you can agree with that. So this morning, as I begin to preach, I preach with great expectation that God has an important message for us today. But anytime we're going to open God's word and before we open God's word, let's pray and ask that he might first open our hearts so that we can receive what he has for us this morning. So Father God, we just come before you this morning humbly. And, uh, Lord, we are so grateful to be able to call you Lord, because there is none like you. You are such a good God, and you are a God who makes and keeps promises. And, Lord, you promise that where two or more are gathered together, you'll be there. And you also promise that your Holy Spirit will teach us all things. And so, Lord, whether we're meeting in this room or meeting online, Lord, we ask for your presence. We ask that you would open our ears and that you would teach us this morning. And Lord, would you do what only you can do? Would you soften our hearts and change us from the inside out? We love you. And we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Well, today we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 6, where Paul writes about the armor of God. Last week, Michael preached a really great message uh, that was also uh, rooted in Ephesians chapter 3, and I thought he brought a really great message of hope as he encouraged us to be bold in our daily Christian lives. Now, if you've never read the book of Ephesians, I encourage you to do that because it's something that you can read in a single sitting, and it's so full of great lessons that we as believers need. You know, the first half of the book, if you think about the structure of Ephesians, is uh, really about doctrine. In chapters 1, 2, and 3, Paul goes deep on our new blessings in Christ, our hope in Christ, and our security in Christ. And the second half of the book is really, what should we as believers do with that doctrine? How do we live out doctrine in our daily lives, especially in our relationships, including our relationships at church, husbands and wives, parents and children, and even in the workplace? We're challenged in those relationships to live in harmony with one another. But partway through chapter 6, Paul shifts his focus a little bit, and he shifts, shifts away from relationships and starts talking about spiritual warfare. As Christians, we need this reminder from Paul. We need to be reminded that there's more than what we see in this world with our physical eyes. We need to be reminded that there is a spiritual realm and that there is a spiritual battle raging all around us. And while we cannot see this battle with our physical eyes, the results of the battle are just as important as any battle you've ever heard of or read about. In fact, even more so because the outcome of our spiritual battles 
will have eternal consequences for billions of people around the world. Now, Satan knows that if he can successfully catch you off guard or overcome you in the spiritual realm, he can make you less effective for God. But God wasn't caught off guard. He knew this battle was coming, and he knew that you would have an adversary. And so God has prepared an enormous armory of equipment to help us be victorious in our daily living. But it's incumbent on us to suit up and to avail ourselves of the power that God offers us. So let's start by getting these nine verses in our ears so that we can dig in and begin to understand what God has for us today. Starting in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the enemy's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you might be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm, then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, and with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. And with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Amen. Well, you know, verse 10 here begins with this phrase, finally, excuse me, yeah, finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. You know, as followers of Jesus, we are commanded to be strong. In fact, in the original Greek here, this is what's known as a continuing imperative. And that means that we're told not just to be strong once or on again, off again, but to keep on being strong. And this isn't just a suggestion, it is actually a command. So the command is keep on being strong. But we're told not to just be strong in our own strength, we're told to be strong in the Lord, not to be strong in our own intelligence or our own hard work or our own, own resources or our own anything, but only in the Lord and in his mighty power. To help us stay strong in this battle, God has provided us with a spiritual armor for the spiritual warfare. And Paul's going to use these nine verses to describe that spiritual armor to us so that we can use it, so that we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Now, a couple of minutes ago, I mentioned that Satan would love to make you less effective for the work that God has prepared for you. But the truth is that Satan actually wants to do more than just uh, neutralize you. He would, if he could, destroy you. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus describes Satan as the thief. And he says that the thief has come only to steal and kill and destroy. Did you read that? Satan only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't bring anything good. He offers nothing good. And anything that he offers, anything that looks good or tempting, well, that's a lie. It's a trap because he only wants to destroy you. 
You see, Satan hates God. And because God created you in God's own image, and because God loves you so much, Satan transfers his hatred for God to you. And so Satan hates you also. But if you're a follower of Jesus, Satan can't touch you. And he knows this. Your eternal destiny is secure. Satan has no claim on you because you've been sealed and saved by the Holy Spirit himself. Now, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then your eternal destiny is still in doubt, and you need to get that straightened out right away. And we want you to do that so that you can spend eternity with the God who loves you. And at the end of this, if you want to text us, we would love to be in contact with you to help you with that. But for followers of Jesus, just because Satan can no longer destroy you doesn't mean that he's done with you. He switches to plan B. And plan B is his effort to try and defeat you in your daily life, to defeat you in the ways that you live day by day and to make you less effective for God. Satan doesn't want you to be effective in working out the, uh, the work that God has specially prepared for you to do. And so Paul warns us here in Ephesians 6 that Satan is actually scheming against us. He's scheming against you and the work that you need to do. And Satan has been, he has a large playbook of schemes that he can uh, deploy against you. And he's been developing these schemes for millennia, trying to figure out how to make us stumble and defeat us in our daily lives. Some of the things that Satan will do is he will try to deceive you. He will defile you with sin, distract you from your purpose, discourage you create doubt in you, distort God's word, and try to divide you from God and his people. And these are just some of the things that Satan will try to do to hold you back. And while we may not be able to see the spiritual battle playing out all around us where Satan is using this, these devices, we can all feel the, the, uh, the pressure. We can all feel the, uh, um, the results when the enemy is on the attack. And we can absolutely feel when the enemy is at work around us, when we're being discouraged, divided, creating doubt and division among us. We do feel these things pressing down on us. And it can be intense. And when humans are under pressure, when I'm under pressure, when you're under pressure, like so many of us are today, it can be really easy to forget who our real enemy is. And so Paul reminds us in verse 11 here, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Paul's reminding us that our enemy is not our boss or our spouse or the annoying person at school. The enemy isn't our brother or sister in Christ, even if they think you should wear a mask, (laughs) even if they won't wear a mask. Our enemy isn't identifiable by their skin color or an accent. And the enemy is not even the billions of people throughout the world who don't yet know of Jesus and follow him. No. God loves all people. God loves you. He loves us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us so that we might be saved. Our real enemy is not other people. What we're really struggling against is not flesh and blood at all. Our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. (laughs) Now, this is not a veiled reference to City Hall or Congress or the president either. Paul is talking about the demonic forces that are scheming to defeat you. But God 
has provided everything that we as believers need to be victorious. So Paul repeats himself in verse 13, and he says again, therefore put on the full armor of God. And we do need the full armor of God, not just part of it, because the day of evil is coming. And notice here that Paul doesn't say, put on the full armor of God just in case the day of evil comes. No, Paul recognizes and he says, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you might be able to stand your ground. (laughs) Does anyone feel like we've had a few evil days lately? You know, we all need to be prepared to stand firm and to stand our ground. And after we have done everything to stand. I think Paul's language here also implies that he knows this is not going to be an easy battle. He says, after you've done everything, stand. Even when we're exhausted, stand. Even when you've given it all you have, stand. Even when we want to give up, stand. This battle will require our complete effort. And Jesus knew that these days would be coming. He knew it would be difficult. In John 16, verse 33, Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And because Jesus did, in fact, overcome the world, we can stand. In 1 Corinthians verse 15, chapter 15, verses 55 to 58, Paul writes, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, because he gave us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in verse 58, it says, Therefore, because of what Jesus did in verse 57, therefore, we can stand firm and let nothing move us. So we can stand firm because of what Jesus did. And so back in verse 14 in Ephesians 6, Paul, for the fourth time in five verses, exhorts us to stand firm. He said, take your stand first. And then he said, stand your ground. And then stand, and now stand firm. And of course, where do we stand? We stand on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. So it's appropriate as Paul begins to describe the elements of the armor of God, that he begins with the belt of truth. Because where do we find our truth? We find our truth in Jesus Christ. The last time I preached was on John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus affirms to his disciples in the upper room that he is the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is our truth. And just as Roman soldiers used their belts to hold everything together and to hang their sword and other equipment from. We rely on Jesus as our source of absolute truth that holds everything together. And you know, this world is desperate for truth. We know that among the many schemes that the devil will try to use in order to try and defeat you is deception, is deceit. And we see this deceit all around us in the world. That's part of the reason the world is so desperate for truth. And the truth of Jesus is our primary defense against the deceitfulness of the devil. And the truth is that God loves you. The truth is that Jesus died for you. The truth is that if you're a follower of Jesus, then you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit to spend all of eternity with God. And these truths are critical to keep in mind 
when Satan comes at you with lies. And you know, that's all Satan can do, is come at you with lies. In John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says, there's no truth in the devil. He only knows how to lies and to lie. And so is it any wonder that when we look around the world and we see what, the, what Satan and the evil ones are doing in this world, all we see are lies upon lie. Now next, in Paul's description of the six pieces, we see the breastplate of righteousness. Now, the breastplate for a Roman soldier covered the most vital organs, some of the most vital organs in the body, including the heart and the lungs, so that they wouldn't be injured in battery. And as Christians, we are called to live lives of righteousness so that we are not uh, injured by the defilement of sin. We're called to turn away from the destructive influences of the world and the sin in our lives. And, you know, honestly, this wouldn't be even possible for us if it wasn't for the sacrifice and the death of Jesus Christ to, to free us from the power of sin in our lives. And when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, uh, God counts Jesus' righteousness as your righteousness. And this is so important because even though I've been following Jesus for over two decades, the I've never yet figured out how to stop sinning. So if my ability to get into heaven is based on my ability to live a sinless life, I can't do it. I have to have the protection that comes from Jesus's righteousness being accredited to me first. But as a follower of Jesus, I should also have a love reaction to the sacrifice of Jesus for me that causes me to want to live a righteous life. We read about this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, where Paul tells us that um, because of what Jesus did, we should seek to imitate God in our lives. And in, and in Ephesians 4, verse 22, just a few verses before that verse, Paul also tells us that we should put off our old selves, put off our old way of doing things after we become a follower of Jesus, and to instead seek to live a righteous life. So, what does it mean to live righteously? Well, righteousness is really a process of right thinking and right acting. And right thinking and right acting is um, when, it, when your thinking and acting is in accordance with God's view of the world. And you know, this is really going to come down to what do we believe? Because our actions are driven by those things that we believe are most true in our lives, right? And this makes sense because when we believe deep down that something's true, we act on it. In the same way, if we really believe what the Bible says, if we really believe it deep down and without reservation, then it should change our lives. We're not going to be perfect, but the change should be dramatic and it should be noticeable to others. And I know that there are many people in our congregation who have seen that dramatic change that only God can bring about in our lives. And it's so amazing. Now, if you still struggle with something in your life that you've had a hard time dealing with, one of the things you might want to do is go back to basics and think about who is God? What, is the, what are the truths of God and the promises of God? And is there anything about God that you need to um, really get straight in your mind so that you can believe it deep down so that you can rely on the promises of God? And maybe this will unlock a level of obedience that you've been held back in.
Now, trusting God is actually a part of the transformation process that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And Paul writes there, he says, Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, you know, as this happens, as, as our mind is transformed, it enables us to be able to discern what God's will is more accurately. And, you know, this is so important for a follower of Jesus because God has actually prepared an important work for you to do. It's a work that he set aside specifically for you to do that no one else can do quite as well as you can. <laughs> and being aware of God's will for your life will help you with the third element of the armor, fitting your feet with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And the reason for this is because when you think about being ready for something, there are two parts to it. The first is being aware of something. In this case, being aware of the will and the purpose that God has for your life so that you can prepare. And second, studying God's word. Now, the reason God's word is important as we're being uh, prepared for the work that God has is because in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, Paul reminds us that God's word, the Bible, is able to thoroughly equip us for every good work. So when we read the Bible, God is equipping us in our mind and our body for the good work that he has prepared. And there is tremendous peace, tremendous assurance that comes from knowing God's will and knowing that you're equipped and prepared for it. And this peace and confidence then allows us to put our feet in motion, to go where we are sent, to come when we are called, and to do the work of proclaiming the gospel of peace throughout the world. There's a pattern building here that I hope you can recognize. And that pattern is that the truth of God is our perfect defense against deception. Putting off our old selves and learning to live righteously is our perfect defense against defilement by sin. And being transformed in our thinking so that we can begin to understand the will of God more thoroughly and our purpose in this world is our perfect defense against the distraction that would keep us from doing what God wants us to do <laughs> as, we, um, as we spread the gospel of peace around the world. God does equip and prepare us to be victorious against the schemes of the devil and all the spiritual forces of evil. But as Paul continues here in verse 16, he inserts, a, it, it sort of makes me laugh, he, he starts at verse 16, he says, in addition to all this, it's almost like he's inserting a parenthetical here and, and he's saying these, these prior things, like the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the um, readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, he's, he's saying, hey, that's plenty. It's more than you need to uh, be able to stand your ground. Ground. It's more than you need to defeat the devil, to be strong, and to live out the purpose that God has created you for. But God, we don't serve a stingy God. We serve a God that is generous, a God who wants you to be more than prepared, a God who has filled the armory full of equipment so that you can be victorious through his generous provision. And so Paul continues in verse 16. He says, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take, 
And as I think about the, the shield of faith, in many ways, this is actually probably my favorite um, element of the uh, armor of God. Um, and maybe this is because my, for me personally, I'm not naturally um, a man of faith. I've had to learn in my life that God does, in fact, have my best interest in mind. God says in Jeremiah 29, 11, he says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. <laughs> you know, our God really is a good God. And because God is powerful, he is able to bring about his good plans. And not only is, does he have a good plan for me, but his plan is better than my plan. And he's able to bring it about a lot more effectively than I can. And you know what's also amazing is that our God is able to use all things to bring about his good plans, even bad things, bad circumstances, and even evil things for his good purposes. Romans chapter 8, verse 28 is one of those go-to verses for a lot of Christians and even a lot of non-Christians. But it's also probably one of the most misquoted verses in the whole Bible. In fact, if you watch the Netflix series titled uh, uh, Manifest, they, um, they misquote and misapply Romans 8.28 all the time. They'll say things like, everything works out for good, uh, and it uh, is supposed to give you comfort that everything that happens is somehow going to be good. But you know what? This isn't actually what the verse says. The verse actually says here in Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You see, when we read this verse closely, what we realize is that it's actually not true that all things are good. Not all things are good. There are some terrible things that happen out there. But because our God is so good and because he is so powerful, he can make those things work for good. But this isn't a blanket promise for everybody. There are two conditions to God being able to take something bad and work it for your good. The first is that it promises that God will work things for good for those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. So if you love God, and if you're living according to his life, then you can have great faith that no, when, that no matter what happens in your life, you in fact can say that God will work all things for good, that God is in control. And that can be an incredible source of comfort for believers. Now, the next thing that we, uh, the next piece of equipment that we have here is the assurance of salvation and the helmet of salvation. And this helmet of salvation is provided to believers to help protect against one of Satan's favorite methods of defeating Christians. And that method is doubt. If Satan can get a follower of Jesus to doubt their salvation or to doubt whether or not um, they, uh, or to be distracted by the status of their salvation, or to wonder whether or not God really loves them, or to wonder if they've messed up so badly that God can't possibly use them anymore, or to doubt if God even really actually has a purpose for their life, then Satan can undermine your confidence and make you less effective for God. But the helmet of salvation serves as a reminder for us in this imagery that God loves us deeply so much so that he sent his son to die for you. 
We read about Jesus' death on the cross in the Bible, but if you study the whole Bible, what you come to understand is that actually the entire Bible is an enormous message from God, the creator of the universe, to you. (laughs) And do you know what that message from God is to you? It's very simple. God is saying, I love you. And the more you understand how much God loves you, the less effective Satan will be when he tries to come at you and defeat you with doubt. When you hear that voice of the evil one in your mind creating doubt, you can know that that's not how God sees you, that that is not God's voice. Now, the final piece of equipment that we see Paul describe here is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And what Paul's referring to here is our Bible. And you know, we do need a spiritual sword for a spiritual battle. Now, if you think about a physical sword that the Romans used, uh, they were very effective in conquering most of the known world, and partly this was through a newly designed sword that they used uh, in their military. Instead of a long, uh, curved sword that was designed for slashing, which uh, most of the world was using at that point, Um, The Romans innovated a brand new sword that was about 24 inches long. It was um, pointed on one end and sharp on both sides. It was a very different sword than what the rest of the world was using. And they were very effective with it. But it wasn't simply the innovation of the sword. It wasn't just the fact that they had a new sword that made them effective. It was their training and their preparation. They knew how to use that sword to defeat their enemies. And... In the same way, uh, we need to learn how to use the Bible because in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, we're reminded that although we live in the world, we don't wage war as the world does and the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. So we're not taking up physical swords for the spiritual battle and we're not going to take the same approaches that the world might use like anger or hate uh, to, uh, to fight our battles, we have different weapons. And the primary weapon that God has given us, one of the most important weapons that God has given us, is the Bible. And here it's referred to as the sword of the Spirit. And I used to think of uh, a sword as primarily an offensive weapon, something that you would attack with, right? But um, when you think about it, a sword is actually both an offensive and a defensive weapon. We see this when Jesus went into the desert for 40 days prior to starting his ministry. Satan tried three times to tempt Jesus. And you know, all three times Satan approached Jesus with a distorted biblical message. (laughs) Can you imagine misquoting and misapplying the Bible directly to Jesus' faith, the author of the Bible, the word himself? Um, It's quite a bit of chutzpah. But each time Satan distorted God's word, Jesus came back and rejected the false version of the word and quoted true scripture. The Bible is a very important tool in defeating the the enemy, but we have to know how to use it. And Proverbs uh, chapter 30 verse 5 reminds us that every word of God is flawless And that's why we can rely on it in our spiritual battles to help us in our mind and how what we're going to believe and how we're going to trust and the promises that God has provided. 
but you're only going to be as proficient with the Word of God as your training has provided for. And you can train in a lot of different ways. You can join a life group. Uh, you can read your Bible regularly with a, the Bible app or version. Uh, you can wrestle with, uh, over Scripture with other believers, sort of the iron sharpen, sharpens iron approach to uh, learning how to apply Scripture and understand doctrine. And by studying and um, praying through Scripture, both on your own and here at church. But if you don't practice with the sword of the Spirit and train with it, you're going to find that God's Word is unwieldy at the moments when you most need it, when the spiritual battle is hot and heavy. Now, after detailing these six components of the armor of God, uh, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, Paul concludes with one more powerful tool that is available to followers of Jesus. And he's talking about prayer here. Now, if the armor of God provides protection in close-in, hand-to-hand combat fighting, then we can think of prayer as air support, action at a distance for the battle at hand. And it's amazing when you think about it that we can actually pray to the creator of the universe and communicate with him. And even more amazing when we think about the fact that God even hears us, and that he is moved by our prayers. So Paul tells us here, he says, be alert, be alert to the schemes of the devil, right? Schemes of the enemy, and keep on praying for all the saints. (laughs) Did you know that you, if you're a follower of Jesus, are actually called a saint in the Bible? You don't have to be elevated to that position like Mother Teresa. Um, You already are a saint. But God knows that even though we are saints and we should treat each other like that, that we are also human and we need prayer. And I think in this last section of the discussion around the armor of God, Paul is calling us to especially pray for the body of Christ because he knows how difficult it can be for us to live in harmony with one another. And you know, unity is very important to our God. Because our God is a uniter. Our God wants to bring us together. God wants us to be united with him and united with each other. By contrast, Satan is a divider. Satan wants to tear us apart, push us apart, drive wedges between us and estrange us from each other. And frankly, Satan's been having a little bit of of a field day with the church lately, including our own church. (laughs) What should we do when we see our nation and our church divided? We pray. We lift up all kinds of prayers and requests, especially prayers and requests to remain united. The Roman legions that took over most of the known world, they were successful because they were disciplined enough to remain in formation during the battle. And God has a purpose for this church, but we have to remain disciplined enough to stay in formation, to stay side by side, united in purpose. We must resist the seeds of division and conflict that Satan is sowing in the church today, especially related to current topics like masks, vaccines, health orders. You know, Satan is clever. He's been honing his devices and studying on how to divide humans for millennia. But if we will pray 
and seek to live in harmony with one another. If we will put God's commands ahead of our own desires and seek to imitate God in all that we do, we can stand firm even in the midst of everything that Satan is throwing at us right now. You know, God knew. He's not surprised by anything. God knew that the unity of his church would be challenged in 2021. But God hasn't left us to our own devices. He's provided everything that we need to be victorious. But you got to put the armor on. (laughs) And it doesn't do any good to put the armor on after the battle is over. So let's encourage each other to suit up, to be bold, to be strong in the Lord so that we can stand firm. And let's remember that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, and especially not against our brothers and sisters in Christ. The spiritual battle is intense, and it's going on all around us, and it affects us. And we need both the armor and the prayer more than ever right now. So let's pray for our church. Father God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the encouragement that Paul provides. And Lord, thank you that you haven't left us to our own devices, that you knew that there would be times like this, that you were aware that we would have an adversary who would want to divide us. Father God, I think about your son Jesus as he was preparing to go to the cross. He prayed to you and he said, Father, pray for the church that they would be one just like you and I are one. Lord Jesus Christ prayed for our unity. And so, Lord, today we come before you and we pray for the unity of your church here at Central, throughout the nation, throughout the world. Lord, would you help us to use the belt of truth, to stand on the firm foundation of your absolute truth? Lord, would you give us eyes to be discerners between truth and lies? Father God, would you call us to live lives of righteousness? Lord, let us not be defeated in our daily lives so that we can um, be transformed in our minds, so that we can hear your call more clearly, so that we might be fitted, that our feet might be fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Lord, we want to do your will. You've called us to important work. Please don't let us be distracted. Lord, we thank you for the shield of faith that you provide to protect us in these times and for the helmet of salvation to remind us how much you love us and for the sword of the Spirit, Lord, that uh, is our defense against so much of what's coming at us today, Lord. So, Lord, I just um, join with my brothers and sisters and pray for unity in the midst of every effort to sow division and conflict in the church and in our society, Lord. Would you heal up your church? Would you bind us up? Would you show us how to love each other well and how to live in harmony with one another? Lord, let us follow your example. We love you, Lord, and we ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.